Hello and welcome to Find the Outside, the podcast. It's lovely to have you back. In fact, it's lovely to be back with you in your ears, walking your dog, washing your dishes. Whatever you happen to be doing listening to us, we are delighted to be back with you. I'm sorry if I sound slightly hoarse. I've been uh, coaching a junior high soccer camp all day with 55 kids. And then there was a soccer match yesterday and have a cold. So that's why I sound throaty. I haven't put it on to sound cool on the mic, unfortunately. And But there we go. Good thing. It's a good thing, really, right, you? you know we're very excited to have two good people with us today we've got Chris Corrigan and Caitlin Frost we've known Chris and uh, Caitlin for a really long time so I consider them both friends and colleagues but also in many ways companions in the far bigger work I think that many of us feel like we're involved in in terms of how do we really shift our practices of leadership so they serve both our communities and uh, maybe something more of life itself and so it's delicious to have the two of you on with us thank you for coming on the pod I know we tried to get you on the last season and for some reason our calendars didn't wind up scheduling so here we are and you're the first recording we're doing for the set for the next season so that's kind of amazing it's great to have you with us so let's start with the two of you just briefly introduce yourselves and so the listeners who don't know you just get a little sense of who you are so Chris I believe you got voluntold to go first do you want to shoot up mate so my name is Chris Corrigan I live on the which is the historical name of Bowen Island off the west coast of British Columbia near Vancouver and for the last 30 years I think I've been a facilitator a host um, been active in a number of communities of practice in the dialogue world including the open space technology community that I've been around for about 30 years and the art of hosting community um, globally and also working in and around the uh, people that are working with complexity and dialogue in organizational and community settings. And I'm Caitlin Frost, also been uh, working, I'd say, in this field of um, hosting and change, working with working with human beings at the large level of organizations and teams and groups and in our community. And then also a big part of my work is looking at uh, the, the inner system stuff, working with coaching and how do we how do we function and work as human beings when we're trying to do all the rest of that, uh, you know, in a good in a good, healthy way. Um, live here also on Neth Lelequim, uh within the same same house as same house as Chris. <laughs> shared veggie garden children. Uh, lots of experiences and um, yeah, just super excited to be here today with you guys, Tim and Tuesday. We've been on the journey in lots of different ways um, and just people that I, I value and, and care about. So it's good to be here with you today. So, so when you say shared veggie garden children... I think that's what he said. No, just before, I know Tuesday was leaning in to ask a very profound and important question to get the podcast going. But I have a far more important question. Is like, exactly what do you mean by shared veggie chop garden children? I'm, I'm, I, so I would say there's some missing punctuation there, but I right. do like where your mind went. And I think just having an image of, I just want to leave you with your own image of what veggie garden children could be as a person who also has possibly a veggie garden and children. Anybody else out oh, there? Right, just missing punctuation. Just enjoy yes. them all. Right, we have shared veggie garden and shared children. Right, yeah. I'm like we're shared veggie garden. And I was like, I had the images of you guys making gardens together, <laughs> which you probably do. It does feel like one of those West Coast things, eh? We're the veggie garden children. Totally. Oh it. my goodness. Well, actually, I was not going to be super profound. I was just going to share with the listener that actually in November, which is two months away, Chris Corrigan, we will have met 17 years ago. And oh, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, Caitlin, that means we probably met 15 years ago. So it's worth just kind of like letting people in on the fact that these are long-term relationships we're talking about here. And yeah. so um, we'll do our best to kind of like make sure there's not too much internal, but you are, I just want to invite people into kind of this, this field that is quite long-term, right? Mm -hmm. um, nice. You've jumped on our trampoline. I just had an image. In my totally. mind. Totally. You karate chopped an owl off my head. That's for real. That is what we're dealing yeah. with here. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do have to say, I know we don't want to get too far down the path of the, the owl story. We have other things to talk about, but it is important to say the owl was attacking your head because I am otherwise really an animal lover. Yeah. <laughs> that is right. fair. I don't not want to be known as the person who karate chops owls. I think that's a fair point. 
Yeah. I am the person that if you're my friend and a big owl lands on your head with its talons out, I will karate chop it off your head. Yeah, you know you. what? I, I appreciate that I clarification. That mm-hmm. yeah, and I find it to be true. I just, yeah. thanks. All right. Okay, friends. So uh, I'm just going to pull us into uh, the bigger picture of the season on the podcast, right? So we're talking to different groups of people about kind of change at different scales, like, and we've just kind of named it like making change in the world or the globe, making change in community, making change in like spirit, which we're, we're doing on a more personal or interpersonal. But the truth is you work on all three of those levels. Like that is your work that you've been doing as long as I've known you both, right? That there's certainly you've been working at those different levels. And, but we want to, we asked you here to talk about changing community because you all seem so very based in your like geographic community. Like that feels like it's an important part of what your life is. I think a lot of change you make is on a community level. And so I'd love if both of you could share just like a little anecdote or a little tell about a time when, right? When you like came into a sense of community, like when you found some of your kindreds or found your geographic spot, like what is it, what was it like for you to come into a sense of community? That's a good question. That's a great question. See, a good question like that requires a kind of a vamping to get going on it, you know, start Mm -hmm. thinking about it. Um, What does it feel like to come into community? Well, I I will tell this story because I think you did ask about it. And, uh, and it's, uh, there's an, it's an interesting take for me on things. Like, as you say, I've been working in community for a long time and being a part of community for a long time. And I've been really thinking thinking about and and we all have like this is not new but i've really been thinking about like what are the elements of that what makes community different from organization you know being a part Mm. of an organization or or a team even and um and the story is um we'll tell the story of this little football club that we created because Mm. uh it's called tss rovers and it's a club that plays in league one bc which on the men's side is the third tier of football in Canada. And on the women's side is the top tier of football in Canada at the moment, because we don't have a professional league. It's a semi-pro environment, largely devoted to developing younger players and giving them a pathway to professional football. Um, and it was started by a, started by an organization, a, a company called TSS, which is a, a, a training academy out of Richmond, BC. But um, the folks that run that, the founders, are very much about un- – they understand that football – uh, is not soccer, is not just a uh, game, but mm. that it ha- plays a really important role in the world, in most of the rest of the world, in terms of community and in terms of something mm-hmm. else and in terms of being a kind of an anchor to people's experiences of themselves and of their place and of a common cause. And um, I started off with these folks because they released on social media that they were going to do something and they were going to put this team into a, at that time, a U.S. league, a development league. And a bunch of us who love football and were really craving connection to our local football team rather than the professional level, the MLS level, uh, you know, Premier League level, whatever, those, those levels where we have a one-way connection to mm-hmm. a football team, but it's not reciprocated. Uh, we're quite interested in what this group of people were doing because they were planning on playing only Canadians in a U.S. league. And so we just thought, oh, that sounds really interesting. So we went along to the first match. And the, a group of us who were kind of dedicated and interested in supporter culture in in the soccer world, so make, we make chants and we light off smoke and we create banners and TIFO and make scarves and stuff like that. So all, all of this stuff. Uh, we were interested in celebrating this. And so we went along, we had a tailgate beforehand. And I looked over at the field and I could see this team warming up. All these players I didn't know, you know, we hadn't met each other really. But the players, and this was the ethos of the club, the players, the last thing they did after they warmed up was they picked up these bleachers and they moved them into position behind the net and they built a supporter section. Mm. They actually built a space for us to come and do our thing. And I thought, that's that's cool. Like, Ooh, you know, like let's show up and do our thing for these players. The players started it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we were trying to do something and then glomming on. And I feel like the, um, the lesson from that, and there's, you know, there's a lot that that story evolves, but, but the lesson, the, the thing that makes that different 
and why I think about that when I think about community is because of the reciprocity there mm. and this kind of shared cause. And that's different mm. from being an organ. I mean, an organization, we might have a shared purpose, you know, we're trying to do something, but, um, but it's the reciprocal nature of it uh, the co-creative yeah. nature of it, that we're building something mm. together and that we're creating something that contains identity, a shared identity and a shared meaning. And that's not prescribed. That's not pre-prescribed. It's something that will emerge. Mm. So they build that little container. We'll talk later about containers. I'm writing a book on that, but we'll, we'll, but they built this little container and we showed up inside it and together we created something that didn't exist before in the world. I love that. And, mm-hmm. and then we kind of in, in it and sustaining it. And I feel like, uh, you know, organizations hold themselves together through, you know, accountabilities and, you know, uh, transactional relationships, which mm-hmm. is fine. In this club, there's no transactional relationships. Mm-hmm. Nobody's making any money. We're, um, <laughs> you know, nobody's making any money. So we're all volunteering. We're all doing our thing. Um, but it's for a, a shared cause and identity. And uh-huh. I, I do think that's my experience of coming into community is when you start, when you feel the reciprocity that's there, I think you feel like you've crossed the boundary into community mm-hmm. versus I've just been hired to do something, or I'm in a relationship with you to get something done, or it's a temporary state of affairs. We're just in a little team. Love it. Love it. I know Tim's going to have probably a million questions about this football club, but I'm going to ask Caitlin because I, I, I know we could do that for a long time. So I'm going to ask Caitlin how she might she might answer that question about the sense of coming into community. I love that word reciprocity. Sweet. Um, so as I was thinking about that question and coming into community, um, I was thinking about a, a big uh, experience of community, uh, community building and being part of community that was actually part of our coming into community, moving to Bowen Island. We moved here 20, was it 22, 22 years ago now? Mm. And I think part of what brought us to, to coming to live here was a kind of yearning for more of a sense of community mm. than we were able to find in the big city. We had, uh, we had gone both gone to university in, in Peterborough at a small university, Trent, Trent University, that um, had a, I think one of its gifts is having a really strong sense of community. It was certainly other than kind of childhood experiences of community that I had had. Um, it certainly was the place that I had experienced and learned more community than anywhere in my life. <clears throat> and sometimes you kind of, I think I, I left UBC, a big, big university seeking and thinking like, sure, I'm getting a certain kind of education here, but I'm something's missing. And I think I didn't know the name to put on it exactly until I arrived uh, at Trent. And I was like, oh, there's community here. There's Mm. all ways there's, it's accessible to contribute to community. You can find it. Other people are looking for it. Um, And so when we moved to Vancouver um, and uh, we're working in Vancouver and, and had our first, uh, had our first child, I think we were missing that sense of community that we'd had in yeah. people. Mm. Uh, and so, and wanting that for ourselves, but also wanting that as we were like having children and thinking about what kind of space do we want to raise our kids in, want to raise our kids in a space that, um, that has community. So that was part of our draw here. And, and the piece of, um, the piece of work, I would say kind of work and, and participation and life experience that I'll share with you a little bit is also part of what, part of our trip over here was an exploration of, what kind of community we could build around our kids' education. Um, doing a lot of uh, reading about education and a lot of just learning from being with our own kids about what resonated for them in terms of like learning and growth into life um, and and some of what worked for them and didn't work for them. Uh, and then also at that time, we were both discovering open space technology and and some of the art of hosting types of practices and thinking like oh these really these approaches really make sense to us about how humans how humans learn how humans can um, be part of something how they can contribute and grow together um, and so when we moved over to Bowen um, I was part of a little core group of folks who decided to uh, create a, a different learning. Uh, a different learning experience and container for our kids. And um, we uh, built something. It's now actually, we just were invited this summer to the 20th anniversary. It's called the Island Discovery Learning Community. Um, 
And uh, I would say it's very much based on a lot of the principles and the ways that we've learned and worked in the art of hosting. Um, but just creating that space when Chris was saying something that's based on reciprocity, you know, there was a very family, uh, very family involved with teachers and community experts and other people from the community that want to come and help people learn and then parents contributing their gifts and skills in a classroom space but sometimes also if somebody wants to learn woodwork and i don't know chris and i like neither of us know anything about woodwork it's like set up these community connections so kids could learn things from other people's parents mm. and community members um and so that was a real like coming into community on Bowen, but also coming into uh, creating and co-creating uh, this this ongoing um, learning program that's still going. Both of our kids were part of it for years. Um, I was uh, kind of co-founder and then also really a big part of running it probably for about 10 years. And um, it's really amazing to see uh, you know, going back and seeing this year, 20 years in, how the basic principles and approaches that we put in place, I think, again, using, you know, for our Art of Hosting listeners, you know, we used Keratic Stepping Stones to design it. We um, used, had open space sessions and um, uh, used Circle for our governing uh, spaces. We had open space sessions with the parents. We did personal practice workshops because all the kinds of stuff that um, you know, we, we run into trying to be in community together really requires a lot of personal practice. We used a lot of stuff for the, from the, uh, our art of hosting learnings in that space uh, to, to create it. So it's just been this really, it was really sweet to be invited back this last year. I've been in and out uh, to, to kind of host certain meetings and, you know, provide some coaching support over the last 10 years. Um, but this was our first time in a little while actually like being there for this big barbecue and seeing this whole next generation of kids all mm. ripping around with their like fun hair and like all of their uh, just like just like a really um thriving group of kids and uh and families because i think part of the principle that was part of that sense of of community being core to developing this program was that it wasn't just a program for the kids that it was something that really values multi-age and created a lot of created a lot of community for everybody you know in the families and set the kids up to be part of creating the creating the space and creating the experience yeah so that was it that was a big one for me and some like lots of heart in it lots of beautiful stuff um you know really uh connecting to that need for community uh and then all the stuff that comes up which is maybe something we'll talk about along the line somewhere, but it's like, oh, being in community with all kinds of different people and all different ages and including a whole bunch of children in that, doesn't that sound beautiful? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it is totally beautiful. And then also like, gosh, it's like super challenging. And, um, uh, you know, in all the different configurations to create enough of a container to hold something like that. And then also to have all the stuff that, that comes up between people and inside people to try to be in community in a good way together. So, you know, that's the big, that's a big journey, that part. Yeah. Community looks great from the outside, right? It's like, Oh, that looks lovely. And I'm yeah. in it. I'm like, Oh my God, everybody's yeah. so messed up. Yeah. Which is of course what life is like, isn't it? I mean, it's just yeah. full of messed up yeah. people working out their stuff together. And maybe, you know, that's probably what closest thing to what community is. Yeah, I'm really struck. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this with the soccer club we started here, but also the, like you, the way you describe your your home place, you know the relationships you've built, and and uh, and thinking about that relative to some of the really large scale work we've been involved in, whether that's like healthcare systems or um, youth service systems or departments trying to implement uh, municipal wide climate change strategies. I mean, these these large pieces of work that, in some ways, because of the potential impact they might have. You know, I think my younger self thought that those would be the places where I would discover the most hope, you know, because like in those places, we're going to get really big change done. Yeah. You know, and uh, and what I've actually discovered is the opposite, you know, is that often in those really large change processes where we're working in very complex, heavyweight kind of like systems, the change is incremental. And it's sometimes happening over decades. And often it doesn't happen at all. 
you know, for all kinds of reasons, you know. And I, I just find, like, in my life, it's the, like, going out and coaching a bunch of kids on a local field that we raise the money to go fix up, you know, that gives me, that instills the hope and the faith in me to then go back into these enormously fucked up systems and see if we can't instigate change in such a way that it changes the container across a region like you, Chris, you know, we use the word containers, you know? And so it's, it, it's interesting because I feel like when we talk about community and you talk about the reciprocity, you know, and in the midst of like, you know, we are in a period where we're facing multiple crises on multiple fronts as a species, as communities, as families, it's just what we're dealing with, you know? And so there's, so I think these places that become like sources of hope or sources of faith or sources of belief because of the uh, relationships that get built or even the transactions that take place without them being transactional, the, the gifts that are exchanged between people to get things done, you know? There's something about all of that that just is so inherently tangible, you know, which is really different than trying to redesign an 18,000 person global organization so they can better serve black and brown communities in crisis, right? I mean, it's just like, what? And so I don't know how that lands with all of you, this idea of like, it's almost, yeah, these sources of hope or these sources of faith that I find in so much is rooted in the kind of local work I do, the, what you might articulate as community work. I think it's, it's, like, I can feel moved by that, Tim, as you're saying that, I can feel moved by the, like, oh, yeah, I'm a human being, and I need to, um, I need to have meaning and hope in the, in the work that I'm doing, and I can feel it more in those, you know, in all the, the kind of more immediate community spaces. Um, so having that mix of scales of work, just as a human being and a practitioner is really important to me, whether it's, you know, professional or just volunteer local community work that I'm doing. And then it's also helpful for me to remember in the big change work that with those 18,000 people or the, you know, however many people we have in some of the big projects that we're doing, that those people have children that are playing uh, football or soccer on somebody's team. And that those are, um, you know, those are human beings that also uh, sometimes feel uh, sad or left out or have a yearning for something or, you know, like strawberry ice cream or, um, you know, are involved in their creating their garden or doing different things. And I, I have to keep practicing that in the bigger work. Uh, I don't have a, an exact theory as to how, how that applies. There is like big system spreadsheety kind of stuff that, that needs to be done for policy change and, and some of that stuff. But I also think it helps me to remember. And I think that, that I'm a human being and these are human beings and they are the same they are, they wear different hats, but they're the same human beings that are, that are showing up at work, maybe with a tie and a, a title. Um, mm. And that just helps me keep it more real. And I find when we're working the ways that we do, where we're bringing in the different lenses to the work, and we're actually in conversations with people and inviting people to bring a little bit more of themselves, even if it is a big, serious systems to change conversation that people can bring a little bit more of themselves, it helps all those people remember that they're a human being and helps us remember that, that we're all human beings. And um, I think there's some, I think there's some wisdom we can tap in that. And also just a little bit of sense of connection and meaning that can weave the community into the work that where it gets thinner um, by scale. There's a mantra that I've often held, which is, um, to whatever we're doing, whenever we're doing our work, like leave more community than you found. Mm. So, you know, it's not a, it's not neither or thing, right, Tim? It's, it's, it's just a vector, right? It's just a direction of travel. So leaving more community than you found. And I say that a lot to people. um, And I kind of talk about it a little bit, like, like we can do great work at the expense of community for sure. You can get great results done and people hate each other at the end and don't want to be a part of anything. That's, no problem. Or you can do great work. You can fail badly or not make a difference or just go through the motions, but actually leave more community than you found. And at the end yeah, yeah, yeah. of that kind of outcome, you, you, you have people who look around going, 
well, that didn't work. What are we going to do now? You know, which is which means you've got more resourcefulness and more resilience around you because people are invested into something, but they're also claimed by something. And I feel like that's an important aspect of it. Um, an important aspect of it as well. So when we go in to, um, when we do work like that, we're very, very explicit. <laughs> we're explicit about the intangible outcomes that we want to build. And we sit with people and we say, look, we're not just going to get things that are concrete in here. We're, we're actually going to have a conversation about the intangible outcomes, what you want left, the feeling you want, what it feels like at the end here when we go. And so this conversation that we're having is kind of one that we have with clients all the time. And we, we try and make sure that we do things that build more of that so that we're actually creating the conditions for more reciprocity, more relationship, um, and, and more belonging, but not like, Oh, I feel like I belong. It's like more like, Oh, you, you belong to us. It's that kind of claimed, the, the work claims you, the organization claims you, the relationships claim you, and you feel like I'm a part of this. I've been claimed by this. And so that's an important aspect for me of the community piece. And I think that kind of is a nice touchstone for us when we're doing our work with organizations and, and, and communities, because you can destroy it in communities as well. We're seeing that happening all over. Um, that we actually are in the in the in the business almost of knitting people together around a shared an emergent shared identity and, and shared meaning. I'm really captured, Chris, by what you just said that just like turned it around. And I would love if you have more to say or anyone on this call has more to say around, I think often when we imagine community, especially in this age where we have so many legitimate concerns for justice and fairness and equity, there's often the direction of is, do I belong there? Right. Like, or like, mm. or, or a claiming I belong there. Right. Mm. Like there's like a, a hardening around something rather than a being claimed by something. And so like mm. you just like, it's just such a different direction to begin to think about community um, that I think has lots of implications around issues of identity, around issues of belonging and how it's like conceived at this moment. And so I don't know if you have any, if you have more to say about that, but I'd love to hear anything, anything you have to say about that. Cause I just feel really captured by it. And this mm. idea of how any examples you have of like a community beginning to claim people rather than people beginning to claim like, you know, this community so often come around, like we live at the same place or our identities are mm -hmm. the same or, but, 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 but like, but that idea of you being claimed feels so like a balm to what most people are seeking when they want mm. to belong. Right. Yeah. You know, and you have to be in a place for a while, right. You have to be proximate to it. You have to be, you have to be in this, you know, I mean, if I talk about a community, like, like our little community here on Bowen Island, um, do people here claim us? Yeah, for sure. Like if I was to go somewhere, if I was to arrive, you can always tell, you know, you walk off the ferry and people who live here wave to you and they know you. It's like, you're one of ours, you know, I mean, for better or worse, you know, <laughs> you're one of ours. Um, we claim all kinds of people around here. Um, <laughs> and if you walk off, if you walk off the ferry and you say, ah, I'm a Bowen Islander, you know, it's, are you really, really, you know, there's a great, there's a, a great quote. I remember one of, uh, uh, Chief Sean Atlio, who was the national chief of the Assembly of First Nations for a while, and he was talking about he wasn't raised in his community on the west coast of off the west coast of Vancouver Island. So, but you know, his family's from there, and how's it? And people know him and knew knew his family. The elders would see him getting off the the water taxi, and when he was little, and they'd look at him and they they squint their eyes and they say, "Now, whose are you?" Mm. That was mm -hmm. the question, and he would say, "Who's his?" who's he was and they would go, ah, yes. Right. So say, yes. You know, so it's that kind of notion of like, yeah, it's a really deep experience of community is mm -hmm. like being claimed like that in that sense. And I do think it takes, it takes time and place to be, to, to, 
to have those relationships. And I think this is a an issue so many of us move around, we we pick up and we go somewhere else and we don't put our roots down. And that's true in the in the digital world and it's true in the physical world. And so I think community takes some time it takes some time to keep our feet in one place for a little while for it to claim us and to mm-hmm. change us and to affect us and for us to be affected by it. Um, it it's not a it's just not an instant thing. You can't just show up and say, yeah, I'm part of this community. I'm here. It's like, you know, show up and listen. You know, we've been working with a leader lately who's like an incredible human being, leads a university in the United States, big university. She's the president. And we've been supporting her on on some uh, leadership, uh, just participatory leadership capacity building. Uh, we've done three um, art of participatory leadership trainings with their senior staff and academic leadership. And, um, you know, I loved her approach to things. When she arrived at this university, it had been in a period of two years of transition, but before that had been in a period of quite toxic leadership, I think a lot of people would describe it as. It worked for some, but quite, let's say, authoritarian, top-down, very opaque, not a lot of shared decision-making, that kind of stuff. And so there was a lot of mistrust and stuff. But things got done, you know, but at the price of community, for sure. And when she showed up, her first thing, and she is an art of hosting person. She learned it at OSU, actually, Tuesday, back in the day. Nice. Um, Yeah, she's an incredible human. And so she showed up, and for the first hundred days, she just listened. That was what she did. She had lots of mandate to do things. And because the culture was quite top down, she could have imposed quite a lot of changes quite quickly. But she just took three months and listened and traveled around, listened to students, listened to staff, listened to everybody uh, in that in that way that we know as dialogic practitioners that, you know, asking good open questions, being genuinely curious about what's this place all about and testing her assumptions when she started to hear things that were in common. She started, you know, um, you know, asking for dissent and all, you know, just really doing the good work. But what ended up happening is that people claimed her, you know, Mm. I remember reading somewhere a long time ago, like maybe it was an Emily Post thing or a Miss Manners thing. It's like, if you want people to really like you, don't say anything on the date. If you're going on a date with someone or you're going, you know, having a meeting with someone, just listen and they'll go be like, that person's incredible, right? You haven't said anything, but that's her being claimed, right? She's like, she's amazing. You know, she heard me. She listened to me. And you can even be a little active in that listening and say, this is what I'm hearing or this is what how it's landing with me. And suddenly you're in a different kind of relationship. That's what dialogue means, right? Dialogue means making meaning together. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the, the listening piece means that it's easy. I can claim you. Like I've been here for a while and you're a person who's coming in and you're listening and it's like, I, yeah, claim you as a community member. People don't, people arrive here on Bowen Island and try and initiate things without listening. They don't tend to be claimed. That's mm-hmm. a very interesting thing to look at. There's sort mm-hmm. of people will mistreat them with suspicion, with um, uh, skepticism, uh, worry about what they're trying to do. Um, and then, you know, probably just say no, you know, off, right off the bat. And that's typically what happens. I just had a conversation with someone yesterday who was wanting to set up a community foundation to support grassroots soccer clubs, you know, and he had all of these ideas about what he should do, you know. And I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, those are all great ideas, but I think you should probably go talk to the community soccer clubs <laughs> and ask what they need before you launch your foundation, because they may not all need you to be their technical director for the next two years, you know. And uh, and but you're, you're, I mean, I know that's a very simple thing, but it just reminded me of that, you know. Caitlin, what's what's coming up for you as your listening here what's what's cooking yeah i was just thinking riffing a little bit of off i mean we're just out of a a recent recent experience um in this particular experiencing this particular leadership uh chris is talking about and i was thinking chris as you were saying it's like how she, she came in with this leadership and listened and people claimed her and then i would also say um that the the leadership that she's brought that's created the conditions for people to also feel claimed by their president, by their leader, you know, in that way. And I think that sense of like, what are the conditions that we create that this sense of belonging and 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 community and being seen and being valued, it's like these intangible things that they can emerge in this space and then they can, can grow and connect with each other. Um, and just thinking about how that's possible from a leadership perspective. And when we watch, um, we watch how the leadership's unfolding um, in that space, 
um, how the intention to actually be creating community is part of the leadership initiative. So decisions are made um, and structures are being created with the idea that we actually want people to be relating to each other as human beings and growing the sense of community and the understanding that from there, there's a chance that the students will also um, have much more sense of being uh, being claimed and belonging and having really a genuine sense of community. I think, you know, institutions like that are set up for certain types of communities. There's clubs you can join and things you can do, and some of that's quite valuable. But I think there's a, there's a direct intention to be in an inquiry together uh, with the leadership there about, like, what could it really look like for, for um, students and staff and faculty and leaders to, to be in more meaningful um, community together. And some of it, you know, when trying to find language for it, we can feel it. It's palpable. Mm. Uh, you know, when we're in that space, we get all, we get a little swimmy. We're like, whoa, this is like, we're trying to see what is, what is, what is it that's being offered here and starting to grow here that feels so real and hopeful. And then I can think of, um, again, in that intangible way, other leaders and places where it's like, oh, they have that, um, mm. uh, uh, they have that felt sense of how they bring a team together or, um, you know, like a willingness to have people's backs um, and a way of showing up. So it's just coming to mind. My mind's dancing to a couple of other. Um, I'm also thinking Jody, Chris, uh, in bringing uh, um, someone that we've worked with over many mm-hmm. years um, in a big organization here who I would guess that if you talk to her team, uh, chief they feel uh they feel a sense of community and belonging that's unique uh in the organization and their work is always standing out in the organization of like oh what are they doing up in that region Um, and how they now play off each other um you know and the kinds of tools and practices that they use and they've done some of the art of hosting work with us um with that particular team um some of the work that i do around um working with inner system and, and limiting beliefs and how to like kind of grow our, um, you know, grow our, our leadership and community mindset by working with some of our own patterns. They did a lot of work uh, of that work up with, with her team as well. And so just noticing how that created a space for people to really be more human together and to be able to communicate in more authentic ways. Um, you know, so some of those practices just, not try to be an, 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 an advertisement for the art of hosting or anything, but there are just some of these basic wisdoms that I think come from that field of practice for us um, that I can see, I can see when these leaders are bringing it in and then when people are learning and practicing it, it certainly uh, creates a, a somewhat intangible and palpable mm. sense of, of community and, and hope and humanness that I think people are hungry for. Yeah. I think that there's nothing wrong with this university in terms of its academics, its student accessibility. It has the most diverse student body in this state, and it's a big state in the southern U.S. And uh, what was missing was community from the place. And, and, And that's essential now because that particular state has made hiring on the basis of diversity, equity, and inclusion illegal. It's made abortion illegal. You know, it's made illegal a lot of things that affect the people in that community, right? And, um, you know, and she leads a large city uh, and you can't lead it by fiat. You need to lead it by creating a sense of shared shared belonging. And that's going to happen with, with, you know, the people that are there for a long time. So students come through there for sure. But the, but what you, what I think I'm learning here and just thinking in this conversation is we don't create community, right? We create the conditions where community might emerge. It's an emergent property of people. And so understanding that, we don't sort of say, oh, here's the PowerPoint presentation, now we're a community, right? It's like we need to shift interactions between people in order for, you know, reciprocity is one of those ways. Instead of a one-way, you know, exchange with folks, it's reciprocal. There's gifts that are given. There's there's claiming and being claimed, you know, so that I can feel that we're in a relationship around that. I'm making like rolling uh, motions with my hands to kind of indicate what that's all about. We create those conditions and then see what happens, right? And then and then when community emerges, when and if a community emerges, it's it's something that is bigger than all of us. And that's that's what it really is. It's not a it's not your you know. It's not our intentions and it's not what the leader wants. 
And it's mm. not perfection. Like I think <laughs> we were talking we were talking earlier, maybe before the, the recording started, about just um, community being alive and human and essential and beautiful and messy. And um, you know, they, as many of the emergent things, we can't totally control it. Um, but I think when we when some of these pieces that we're talking about with the claiming and being claimed and some sense of, of belonging, we just have a better chance of working through the hard stuff, the, the crunchy stuff of listening to the differences and learning together. Because if we had to be perfect before we could come into community together, then there would just never be any, uh, there would never be any community. And I think we can, I mean, again, this, you know, just this, we're just coming out of uh, some of this from some some work last week. But I'm also thinking back to the example of the the learning community that we built, you know, for the kids. You can see it on people's faces when it's happening. There's like a, where you're, you know, in a container for a few days hosting something. You can see, I, I feel like I can kind of see and touch it. And the, the kids knew it. You know, they, they, they knew the belonging and they knew that there was something there you could see it in their faces. And I could certainly feel it, um, you know, at, at many scales in our work, in our family, in our, in our community, in the football club. You should see it in the football club. It's like talk about talk about palpable, you know, mm. that space. I'm a. I'm what do you a, see, Caitlin? What is what is what do you see? Yeah, I see. Um, I see from the from the supporter section. Um, you know, you can you can imagine a little at a at a big green football soccer field. Then there's you know those little partition things, and then there's a, a tiny little set of risers, and then like an extremely excited. Uh, multicolored, dressed um, group of humans of many shapes and sizes and ages and differences, you know, with flags and sometimes costumes. And um, some of them have those like smoke bomb things. And now we have this, you know, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the voice amplifier thing going. Me- megaphone, megaphone. Oh, and there you go. Just, um, just shining, mm. um, just like so full of life and so excited to be together and so excited to support something. Like, I think there is the, the being able to feel like you're contributing meaningfully Mm. to something, being together with others, contributing to something else has this incredible weaving um, side of it. So then there's lots of singing and jumping and yelling and cheering. And then um, the, the players, these, you know, young players who mostly have been playing on fields with just their parents on the side, Uh you know, in the stands have never had people singing. I mean, Chris writes these songs and, and some of them write these songs where they write a whole song with one of the players' names. Yay. And they sing the song when the player is like doing something. And you watch these young people just like feel claimed, like wow. feel seen, feel like part of something. And there's some little video clips, maybe Chris will post a few. But of times when these like you know, young football people, and you see like they've scored a goal or something's happened. And one of the first things they do is just run with this like huge smile on their face. And you know what the football players look like when they're like, yeah, when they're really going and dive into the arms of like some community person who these two people would not be hugging under others. Mm -hmm. Like they probably find each other in their different social groups and different ages and things. Uh And those faces are just like streaming with joy. There's Chris showing a little. little, (laughs) That's great. We should put pictures up if we can. But it just seeing that, um, seeing that human exchange Mm -hmm. and how much it means to them. And I've watched, um, because I'm not right. I don't write the songs and like I'm, if we were fourfold practicing it, I'm like participating in there and Chris is leading a little bit, uh, a lot, a lot in that, in that space. But I've watched other people join and it's amazing this group of supporters, how open they are to who else wants to come and contribute mm. to this beautiful cause together. Like mm. I've had somebody come who's never been part of anything like this before. And, you know, within a day there, somebody's got their arm around them. You know, someone's given them a water bottle or a beer and like, here, take this flag. Like mm. it says, uh, proceed until apprehended and assume your gifts are needed. Are they like guiding principles? And so it's just like, hey, what gifts do you have? Assume they're needed. Come on in. Let's do some stuff. And I've watched people that look like they think, oh, I look quite different than that group of people that's yelling and shouting. I've never done anything like that before. But they're like over on the side 
and you can see they have that like, ooh, that looks interesting. And sometimes I'll just go over and say, just come over. This is the mm. most welcoming group mm. of people you have ever come across. And wow. uh, and you just watch them light up. It's like belonging is uh, just overflowing mm. in this space um, in a really tangible, really, really beautiful way. So that's what I, that's what I, what I will also claim by, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm there, it's really a very palpable, uh, example of it. And there's just like some principles to pull and some, some stuff to learn. I love kind of like you're slightly outside seeing it and able to describe it. And then as you were describing it, Chris was just lit up. Right. Just like the, the, yeah, them, them, right? you know, like the feeling, right. Is this like yeah. right there available to you yeah, both? It's lovely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. And that's consistent in all the stories we shared, I would say. Yeah. Like, it's like, it matters to us. It moves us in our own just selves and also in our work. And, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily look like flags and smoke bombs in the professional space. <laughs> so whatever the equivalent is of flags and smoke bombs. Yeah, but it does also mean like sometimes bringing stuff in that people are like, what the hell? You could never do this in a workspace. Mm. They're like, well, I don't know. Let's try. And, and mm. you know, some good things can happen. So there you mm. go. We're all smiling now. So Chris, you were doing rolling motions with your hands, and Tuesday you've been uh, you've been doing hand motions throughout the whole call. And uh, I've you know I was taking it personally in the beginning. I was like, oh, what's going on? You know, are, are you fighting a gnat over there or something? A million friends, this beautiful plant I have beside me that you all can't see. Uh, I was just out of the house for two weeks, and apparently it has spider mites, and so some of the leaves have decayed, and now there are gnats all over. And I don't know why, in the middle of this podcast, right as we started, they just started swarming me, and so nice. it is so disturbing. Yeah, exactly, Chris. I was thinking the same thing. It's like a little community on the plant; they're claiming you. Right. I'm not. I'm not it's sure perfect. I'm going to be a yes. I'm not sure I'm going to be a yes. <laughs> Well, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about not being a yes, actually, just a little bit, because you were going there as well. And, you know, in general, I'm a late joiner. You know, I'm not a quick joiner. And, and, um, and uh, you know, one of the things I always have in my, just from my own life, is I was claimed very early by institutions and people and cultures that weren't very kind, you know, but I was claimed by them, hmm. by, regardless of whether I was interested Right. And, and, and of course, what that creates in me is an unwillingness to be claimed in the future. Uh. Right. You know, and, you know, we can translate and dig into that however much we want. And, <laughs> and so that, you know, there's always a question for me of like, do I trust you enough to be claimed? Do I trust you enough to be claimed by you? You know, and I don't know, I, I don't know how, how, how we work with that. And I think often, you know, in work environments, but also in community environments, people often have a whole set of experiences that build a narrative that actually make it very hard for them to surrender mm. into the type of environment that you're talking about, you know, or that we're all talking about, or that we all help create, mm -hmm. you know, and whether mm -hmm. it's in our soccer clubs or whether it's, you know, going out around friends' houses around Christmas or whatever it might be, whatever you, however you celebrate with, with your people, you know, and, uh, and, and sometimes it's not as simple as going over to somebody and be like, no, they're all right, mate, go hang out with them. You know, like there's, there's more going on. And, and so I'm just wondering how, when we're, when we're building community and we're creating the conditions, we're creating these containers, like, you know, what does it take to, um, uh, to work with those who are constantly in the question of, do, do I trust you enough to mm. be claimed by you? That's a great question, Tim. You know, you know, I think one of the things that's important about the idea of containers in human culture, and what so, and a little side thing here is I use this word. I actually have a blog post about how troublesome this actual word is because it's what container. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it can elicit a lot of traumatic experience from people that have been enclosed in parts of their lives. You know, Absolutely. but what I what I mean by Absolutely. it. Yeah, what I mean by it is, is is a place where it can be a physical place, but it's it's also an emergent property where you feel like you're inside something. And what's actually being contained is meaning. 
It's like not mm. me being contained, but what's being contained is meaning. So it's a little crucible where something meaningful has happened. And that meaning could be a shared identity. It could be a shared purpose. It could be something that makes a distinction between when I'm here and when I'm not here, right? So there's a boundary. There's a separation between here and not here. And there's a cost to community, which you're naming, Tim, really nicely. And I think even like Peter Block named this back in his book, Community, the Structure of Belonging. Oh, he, yeah. Right? He yeah, named yeah. this beautiful practice, which I think is really important from an invitation perspective, is that invitations across boundaries, invitations into things need to contain a barrier. It's not just not just wide open, not just, mm. hey, yeah, come and check it out. That's not that doesn't provide enough lignum, you know, to tie you to something. Um, he said you it should contain a little barrier, and that way people will say an authentic yes or an authentic no. And you see, like being able to make an authentic to authentically say yes or no to being a part of something is really, really critical. And so having a little barrier helps to do that. So it's like, yeah, I could make this whole thing free or I could make it five bucks. And that mm. little barrier just means, you know, or I could make, yeah, we could do it in an hour, but we want to do it in three. Ooh, I don't know. That's a little good. That makes you think about like, is this important enough for me to be in there? I do think that like this practice of, there is a practice uh, of crossing boundaries and thresholds. And this is a very old, lots of cultures have this. All cultures have this. It's a product. It's a property of culture. When you cross a, a, a threshold or a boundary into something that we could call community, and, but into that kind of container, there's a ritual that happens. And, I often, and I'm different by being in there. And I think part of what makes people reticent to do that, why I'm a late joiner too, to a lot of things, but part of what makes people reticent is that there is implicitly, or you can make it explicit, an ask to put something down. Mm. some part of you can't come in here right mm -hmm. and so we know that i think when we enter like not everybody gets to be everything in a co-created community right like your your friend who wants to start a community foundation like he's gonna have to stop and and enter a space where something is going to be co-created that co-creation yeah. practice we talk about in the art of hosting it's not that we're just going to socially innovate the co-creation practice for me is what does it take for us to come into a space where i can't be everything i want and i can't get everything i want in here that if in order for us to co-create something that's never been done before it can't be me telling everybody what's going to ask our co-creation so that means i'm going to have to stop a part of myself from showing up here you know we should talk about that that's an important thing. your question is like bringing that out in 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 this conversation that there is a cost to entering community right there's a sacrifice that gets made to entering community you know and i think that that's part of what binds people together in all of this so it's not the th sort of thing you get tra and so the problem with using the term community the way we use it in social media for example or online is like all of my online communities i can come and go anytime i want there's no threshold crossing practice other than do you agree to the community guidelines or something like that there is no sense that i have to take off something and put something else on and in many places where that threshold crossing is really important that's, you know, there's a ritual. I mean, I go to football matches, I you, as you do, you're wearing a shirt right now. You put a shirt on, you put oh, yeah. a scarf on, you wear a different uniform, you wear a different yeah. set For of sure. armor, yeah. right? Because yeah. that signals my belonging. It signals a different me shows up. You know, if I put on a Rover shirt and grab my Swan Guardian scarf, you know, I'm going to become a different person. And there's a cognitive phenomenon called enacted cognition, actually, that that, you know, uh, ties our identity and our thinking to the physical context that we're in. That includes what we, how we signal who we are, what we're wearing, where we're coming into something like this. So I think that there's, um, I think that community has a, there is a boundary to those places, to those kinds of containers that demands an authentic yes or a no to come in. And, you know, can we cope with the no, you know? Like, and, and, you know, for those of us that love like inclusive community, actually, can we have a barrier? Right. Are we okay with creating a boundary? Because we can be radically inclusive and create boundaries. And Caitlin named that in our supporter group, we have, um, we are a very diverse group of people, both gender wise, sexual orientation with very, very high um, value on 
being anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic. That's a major thing. But we fly pride flags. We fly anti-fascist flags sometimes. You know, we fly unity flag. Like we're signaling something. But that's a barrier to some people. Mm-hmm. And we're okay with that. Like if radical inclusion is a barrier to you and you issue an authentic no, I'm not going to go sing with those people. Great. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. great. And what we're saying no to is not people but behaviors. You know, I saw – a really beautiful sign in a community uh, center neighborhood house that I'm working with that said that they have a radically inclusive policy, which means that if you show up and exhibit some behaviors, what we want, when we ask you to leave, we're asking your behaviors to leave, not the person. The person is welcome back anytime, right? Mm. But the person needs to dissociate themselves from certain behaviors that make it unsafe for people here or whatever, which I really love. Sort of affirms the dignity of a human being Mm -hmm. and allows you to make choices and says, you know, certain things don't happen in this space, you know, because we value the safety of people that are here. or We value the, you know, the inclusion of people who are traditionally marginalized from spaces. This is a different kind of space for that. But that what you're asking is raising raises those thorny questions of the threshold crossing practices, right, of what it takes to be in and out. And, you know, that comes with a whole other set of issues around gatekeeping. And, you know, we I think we sometimes malign those practices and call them gate gatekeeping's not not nice and it's like are you telling me are you being a gatekeeper telling me (laughs) like like let's be okay with creating boundaries boundaries Mm -hmm. are okay because they create a container in which really powerful meaning can happen and it's not something you can just slide in and out of you know, as we were, we said at the outset of this conversation, that the sense of belonging, the sense a sense of community, requires time. It requires a long-standing piece of being in relationship and being in reciprocity. That doesn't happen right away. You don't just slide in, become part of community, and slide out again. There is something that binds us in there. It's a co- There's a cost. There's a cost to your time, to your attention, to your intention. There will be things that you do because you belong to community that you can't do in other places. You know, that your time will be claimed, your work mm. will be claimed, your yeah, yeah, yeah. your heart will be claimed in a way that will differentiate you from what other people are doing. So there's a cost to it. I was thinking alongside that, Tim, when you were saying, you know, you've had some like experiences of being claimed in, in like not good ways. I'm sure we can all find spaces of that having yeah. lived in this, uh, you know, the cultures that we're in and that, that kind of intense claiming that can happen in education and in different spaces. And I also think it's like, it's important to name that and just to acknowledge that because I think the, the it's, it's real that we can't just be expected to, or that it would be healthy to just trust every invitation to join into a, into a community to say, Hey, I, I think it's um, superficial. It's not, um, it's not real. And it can do a lot of harm if we're not, looking at some of those things and naming them to be able to acknowledge and that that's, right. that's more true for some people than others. Like coming mm. into a space where people have had really lived experiences of um, joining something in a trusting kind of way and then actually um, experiencing racism or not being heard or, you know, some of those, those types of patterns or having hidden expectations about what are the rules for belonging here and do they actually allow enough of you to be here in a whole uh, kind of safe way. So I think it's, it's um, you know, as much as we were riding on the on the excitement of like, everybody's welcome here. Um, it's like, you know, there is some more that Chris was describing there about, you know, things that that happen within that group to really ensure that that a deeper sense of belonging and safety mm. is, is there for people to come, you know, in a good way. So I think acknowledging it, having some of our own awareness in when we're part of uh, when I'm part of a space that I'm in part of a group inviting people in to be aware of some of the bias that we might have in the group, some of the immediate belonging that happens when we just automatically have stuff in common with people. You know, it's like we don't necessarily realize that um, it's easy to join this group and feel safe if you happen to be of the same economic or education level, or it's like <laughs> we're a bunch of we're a bunch of guys in a sport place that comes with actually a lot of um, a lot of patterns over time that if we don't address them, then uh, other people, women coming in 
or people with with you know non um, uh, male uh, gender coming in in different ways might not actually feel that welcome here, and we might be accidentally like stepping on them. Uh, in some ways, if we're not paying attention to it. So I do think like trust needs to be built, there needs to be some attention to like how, how we create a good space for people. Um, And then we have our own, like for, for me, if I'm, I'm, you know, there's some places where I feel more of that ease to go into community and other places, I would have some of that, that aversion or stepping back. And then I just like curious about that in myself, like what's, Mm. what's, what's coming up for me that I feel like, I can flow into community here and I'm feeling blocked here. It could be a combination of my own, um, some conditioning that I have or some of my own beliefs that I want to work through so that I can actually Mm. show up in more spaces, more whole. Um, And sometimes it could be like, oh, actually using some of my lenses as I look at that, I can see why that doesn't feel like a safe space for me. And maybe I want to give some feedback or maybe I just want to go find community somewhere else, um, you know, and that's okay. Um, mm. So I think both of those pieces, whether I'm the person coming in or when I'm on the inside inviting people in, that we're just like aware of those things and able to talk about them, um, you know, able to talk about them and name them as part of a healthy community and not just, uh, you know, not just take it for granted. Well, a bunch of people seem to like it. So (laughs) so it must be your problem if you're, um, you know, if you're not feeling comfortable here. So I kind of think it's both. Um, And, you know, I'm always curious when, when that, when I get that felt thing that you said, like, whoop, you know, like, it's like, oh, I don't feel like um, I've I've got some aversion into this space. It's like, yeah, check inside myself, check outside myself, look and see, look and see what's happening. You know, I'm a bit of a bit of a geek that way in terms of like, I'm always curious about, always curious about those things. But um, yeah, I do think it's important to, it's important to, in, to name it. And that trust has to be built and tended um, to keep it as just like a safe enough, safe enough space that, that, you know, for, for whoever's being invited in. Well, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Like I have another list of questions, but I also know we're going toward the end of our time and a gnat just flew up my nose. So I'm feeling like, Oh no, are you serious? Totally. Totally. Uh, so wow. I'm like, maybe we'll wrap up and I can work on getting this thing out of what? Oh, so annoying. But seriously, that's all. That's all. That, that's your, that's your segue. And that flew up my nose. You've got to wrap up now. <laughs> I got to get to the bathroom. Okay, listeners, I just want to tell you, this is happening and we're keeping it in. Mark, you cannot oh, edit this out. This is very important. Oh my yeah, gosh. if it was an Owl Tuesday, I could totally help you out. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's I was... no karate chopping a gnat at the nose, is there? I know. That's just not going to work. I was low-key asking for assistance, but that's fine. I had a bunch of, I had some stuff I wanted to get into as well around like what happens when we start, you know, you were talking about kind of the volunteerism, the, the nature of like nobody's getting paid, Chris, you know, and what happens in community when actually that whatever you're creating builds to a point where people need to be able to be paid to be able to sustain their involvement in it. And there's loads and loads and loads we could be getting into. But if if people want to find the two of you Mm -hmm. to continue conversations like this, to learn more about you or your work, how and where do they find you? Well, in physical space, we're we're in that little quote, Bowen Island. So if you happen to be actually landing on this little island, um, you, can, you can be a veggie garden child too. Yeah, it's you can be just ask around. People know where we live. <laughs> <You could. Yeah. laughs> um, but also we are, um, uh, we have a shared, we have a, Chris and I both, we, we, we work together. So we obviously have a veggie garden and comma uh, children uh, together and, and all kinds of different life. <laughs> um, we also have a really rich work life uh, together that overlaps. So, there is work that we do together. We are um, we created a, a online program called Complexity Inside and Out um, that we've I think we're going cool. to our fifth group uh, will be this coming spring, nice. and that's online. So we've had folks from all over the world. So that's a place you can like meet up and be in conversations and and uh, some of the some and more of of some of what we've been talking about here. Um, and then we have a shared website, uh, Harvest Moon consultants.com that's a place where we put our shared stuff together and then we each have our own um 
stuff that we build out on and stuff that we're more more deeply into one than the other mine being the kind of coaching inner system work and chris is writing his book on containers and doing more of that complex and would that be would that be caitlin frost how if people wanted to follow up with you where would they find you caitlin specifically caitlinfrost.ca yeah brilliant and then awesome. and then chris is you yeah, can share Chris Corrigan, chriscorrigan.com. Yeah, lots of resources there. Blog, been blogging for 20 years. And, Dude, um, so many. Yeah, lots and lots of stuff. It's amazing. Blog yeah, ask for what you need. Hmm. Yeah. And you're in the middle of writing a book. Did you just kind of slip that in earlier? I think yeah. That was something you said. Started writing a book on dialogic containers. So mm. um, it'll be, uh, I'm working, you know, it's all good. I'm working with, uh, probably be out through the uh, Marshak, uh, Bush Marshak Institute, which is uh, started by Robert Marshak and Gervais Bush, who yeah. compiled the field of dialogic organizational development. And we wrote a textbook on that in 2015. And then since then, several of the authors of the chapters in that textbook have been releasing like many books. So it's probably, you know, 30,000 words sort of thing, but it's, nice. it's really looking at containers as these emergent properties, which in the dialogic world, we've actually really thought of them as concrete things, not uh-huh. emergent things. And so it's, it's kind of exploring and expanding that concept. So. Nice. And you've, and you've mentioned the art of hosting a lot and you've got one coming up next year in May. Is that right? We've got one coming up in November in Vancouver, oh, cool. uh, but it's full. We have no. We have the Complexity IO uh, programs coming up for Europe and also Australasia. I think in the spring. Wonderful. Um, and there's an art of hosting in October in Ontario, Kingston, Ontario, which is going to focus on education and learning. It'll be at the Queen's Biologic Station, so it'll be on a beautiful lake with um, a friend of mine who's a, in the Indigenous um, lead of the Prince Edward County School Board. He's from. Ty- uh, Tyne Danega, Troy Miracle, who I who I worked with thirty years ago and haven't seen for ages and ages, and oh, a couple of I other friends like from Montreal. Happen. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be an amazing inquiry. So, if folks want to get on that too, that there's links on my website to that one. Yeah, and we do have May. We did we did make a second May uh, art of hosting here in Vegas. That's right. You're yep. right. We Which just is, did that. We just decided that last week, so our uh, folks that couldn't come in November uh, will Great. be doing that. In- We're not hard to find. No. Plenty of ways into the garden. <laughs> That's a good segue. I don't have a gnat up my nose yet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, don't give it long. All right. It's nice to be with you guys. Yeah. yeah same, hey? Do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tuesday. Just so the listeners know, Tuesday just put a finger up and then left. Yeah. yeah. Somebody at the door, maybe. Uh, she does have a very small dog called Rosie. Rosie, yeah. you know, might have demanded something from her. Anything could be happening right now. Yeah. Um, all right, friends. Thank you so much for your time and your effort and your focus and everything you do in the world. And just taking the opportunity to reconnect and share something of what you're up to and, and what we're all kind of exploring. You know, mm. it's brilliant. Tuesday, I was guessing it was somebody at the door or Rosie had... Yeah, it was my child pounding at the door. God, children. There we go. They always want to get inside, right? They always want to be fed and they want to come inside. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, Yeah. just to give them keys. (laughs) No, no. She she locked them out. Exactly. Uh, No, she has one. I'm sure she has no idea where it is. (laughs) Yeah, right. I've uh, I've started attaching things that the kids really like to their keychains. So Oliver was watching this TV show and I bought Agents of Shield. I don't know if you know it's Agents of Shield. So I got him this like really cool like Agents of Shield keychain. And so he's more interested in keeping the Agents of Shield oh, insignia. Smart. It's the actual key. There you so go. That's been a pretty. That's smart. about creating the conditions. Right there. There <laughs> perfect. That's the perfect no, example. The key, but I'm not losing my Agents of Shield. Exactly. All right, you lot. Take good care of yourselves, eh? Thank you for listening in.